Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. By now, you've probably realized that this service has been designed to highlight the next generation. My name is Courtney Wilson. I'm the Kids World Pastor at the St. Charles campus. And this isn't a weekend to check out or to turn off the live feed just because maybe you feel like it doesn't apply to you. Whether you are a part of the next generation, uh, whether you're actively serving or parenting the next generation, or whether you think that you have nothing to do with the next generation, What we want to do today is open up a conversation at all of our campuses, St. Charles, Aurora, DeKalb, Streamwood, Huntley, and online. You know, we want to talk about how we respond to the future of the church. So before we do that, we're going to need to pray. So will you pray with me? God, we pray that you would guide this conversation today that you would open up new thoughts and new attitudes towards the next generation, that we might be a people who are known for our care for the next generation. God, help us to open our hearts and our minds to what you would have for us and for the generations that would follow us. We want your church to grow and to expand. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, to start talking about the next generation, I think it's only fitting that we start with a social media trend. Now, this trend is called the put a finger down challenge. It's akin to the video version of never have I ever. Uh, It's used to call out certain behaviors. So it might be how you treat your siblings to embarrassing situations, to your feelings on social justice issues. But today, we are going to do the generational influence edition of the put a finger down challenge. So to start, what you need to do, everyone put all up all 10 of your fingers here on the campuses. Uh, If you're watching online, all of your fingers up. Are you ready for this? Here we go. All right, I'm gonna read a statement. And if that statement is true of you, then you will put one finger down. So I'm gonna do one to warm us up here, okay? So here's our first statement. Put a finger down if when I say get it, you say, Got it. All right. I think almost everyone should have a finger down at this point. That just shows the influence of the community, the people around you, right? We have all been influenced by this faith community if that's how we finish that statement. So now put a finger down if you root for the same sports team as your parents. Put a finger down if you have the same career as the person who raised you. Put a finger down if you've maintained a family tradition simply because you grew up doing it. Put a finger down if you were invited to church for the first time by a non-family member, someone outside of your family. Put a finger down if you ever learned a skill or a trade from someone older than you. Put a finger down if you had someone who helped you pay for your college tuition. Put a finger down if you grew up in a home with two parents. Put a finger down if you had a spiritual mentor at some point in your life. And put a finger down if you have a legacy of Christ followers in your family. Those that have come before you have followed Christ. Now, how many fingers do you still have up? 
Each one of those statements is likely dependent on a generation before you influencing you. If you don't have many fingers up, this might be indicative of how generations before you paved the way for you, how they raised you, how they instructed you, how they defended you, how they empowered you. And we want to talk about that today and what that's like within our church. And one of the best ways to do that is to really open up a dialogue with one another. And none of us can do this alone. So what we're going to do today is that we want to invite you into a discussion with us. Uh, I'm here with our high school pastor, Josh Height, and that's what we're going to what we're going to do today. Yes, I mean, after, after that game, after that activity, if you have zero fingers up or nine fingers up, right, the, the, the implications of how the previous generations have shaped you, those things can't be ignored. It can't be overstated that we are shaped by the communities and generations around us. And even as a church, we are passionate about making disciples of Jesus Christ who are belonging, growing, serving, and reaching no matter their age. And because we're a part of this as a church community, it means we're in this together. Yeah, about 66% of church-going teenagers will drop out of attending church when they turn 18 years old. Now, that means for every 10 students that are active in our student ministries, seven of them will stop attending church when they get older. And as the parent of four of those students and someone who has dedicated spending the best hours of my day to helping kids know and love Jesus for all the days of their lives, I am not okay with those statistics. Yeah, I mean, those numbers are staggering, right? The question we can ask ourselves as a church community is, what does it matter to us? And that's what we're going to explore today. We're going to go back to the book of 2 Kings, and we're going to look at the example of two of Judah's kings, starting with King Hezekiah. Yeah, Hezekiah was a king in Judah, and his reign is unique right from his introduction in 2 Kings 18, when King Hezekiah is said to have done what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, that's a little scary, that to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord would make you unique as a king of Judah. But Hezekiah easily falls into the top five kings of Judah. This was a distinct diversion from many of the kings who came before him, who had led Judah in rebellion against God. Now, near the end of Hezekiah's life, he has what might be described as a lapse of judgment, really, that ultimately it brings a prophecy of destruction. In 2 Kings 20, verses 16 through 18, it talks about this. It says, Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up to this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord, and some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood who will be born to you, will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Isaiah has this message for the king. Essentially, it seems that because of the wrong move on Hezekiah's part, there's going to be a judgment levied against Judah, but not right away. This punishment will exempt Hezekiah, and seemingly it will affect the generations that come after him. So how do you think he should respond? Let's look at Hezekiah's response in verse 19. He says, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? The ESV actually reads, that he thought, why not, if there's peace and security in my days? Yeah, I mean, that's not a really honorable response on his part, right? He seems like throw up his hands. He could kind of care less what comes about to the next generation. He's going to have peace. He's safe. He's good. 
Yeah, now Judah was looking at a geographical exile, destruction and separation from what God seemingly had for them. And while there hasn't been a divine prophecy for the next generation to be exiled from God, those statistics would certainly point that the majority of our young people will experience a spiritual exile, a separation from God. So I would ask, what's your response to the, next, to the opposition against the faith of the next generation? Do you see the cultural climate, the current climate that our kids are growing up in? And do you react like Hezekiah? Do you say, well, I've done my part. Well, I followed Jesus faithfully, so I'm good. Or maybe you say, I don't even have kids, so what do I care? This doesn't apply to me. But Hezekiah decided he would rest in his security, that he wouldn't respond to the crisis that was facing the next generation in Judah. And when it comes to the crisis that's facing our kids and students related to their faith, I just don't think that we can rest in our own security. Yeah, I agree. As a church family and as families in our homes, we can choose to instruct, we can choose to defend, we can choose to empower this next generation. And the best part about this is that we do not endeavor alone. Yeah. You know, we have a community to learn with, to grow with, to dialogue with as we raise the next generation of disciples together. So Josh, we have a lot of conversations about this by the nature of our jobs and our own commitment to our families. Sure. In fact, one of the fun things about working with you is that as the high school pastor, you pastor my kids, and as the kids pastor, I get to pastor yeah. your kids. That's really awesome. So we really cover all age groups together, both professionally and in our own homes, personally, between the two of us. So today, I just want you to open up this conversation for us, starting with God's word around another king of Judah. Yeah, I mean, you gave us the example of Hezekiah, uh, and then in 1 Kings chapter 22, we're introduced to uh, another king in Judah. His name is Josiah. He's actually Hezekiah's great-grandson, uh, and Josiah becomes king, get this, at eight years old. It's a third grader. That's pretty intense. That is pretty intense. But this happens because Josiah's dad, Amon, is kind of a goober. Uh, he actually gets killed by his attendants and the people around him because he's just not that great. Uh, and so Josiah steps in to be king. And in doing so, he inherits the nation of Judah that at this point in their history is not loving God. They're not worshiping him in the ways that they're living their lives. In fact, after Hezekiah's reign, things seem to go severely downhill and Judah becomes far off from the Lord. 18 years into Josiah's kingship, he orders that the temple of the Lord is to be restored, and so the nation gets to work on this building project, and over the course of this build, they discover the book of the law, and this is probably one of the earliest renditions of the Torah that includes the book of Deuteronomy, and in that is God's law. This is how my people are supposed to live, and also within that is a commitment that the nation of Israel made to God to say, Yahweh, you are the true God, and you are who we're going to worship above everything else. But recently, it's something they're neglecting. Judah is not living in light of that commitment. And so we get to 2 Kings 22, verse 11, and Josiah is read the words of the book of the law, what seems to be for the very first time. And here's what we get. In verse 11, it says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes, and he gave these orders to Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam the son of Shaphan, Achbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the secretary, and Isaiah the king's attendant, Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all of Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in there concerning us. And so they find this book. Josiah hears from it. And sure enough, God's not happy. 
and destruction is coming because Judah has separated itself from God. And yet we get this really familiar element next, the kind of reminiscent of Hezekiah's prophecy that he heard. In verse 19 it says this, because your heart, this is speaking of Josiah's heart, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have also heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I'm going to bring on this place. Hmm. Josiah is in the clear. He's, he's good. Exactly. Just like his great-granddad Hezekiah. There's this prophecy of destruction. Josiah is going to be okay. He could choose to respond like great-granddad did, but he doesn't. He doesn't rest in his own security. Instead, he takes extreme measures as a king to affirm that what comes next, the generations that come next, they matter. And he wants to set them up to walk faithfully with God. And that's really where we're going to focus the rest of our time together this morning. What does Josiah do to come alongside the next generation to ensure that they walk obediently with the Lord? And this care becomes really evident right after that prophecy of destruction is given. We open into chapter 23 and we see what Josiah does he instructs the next generation of Judah. He instructs the next generation. And we read it in uh, chapter 23 in the opening verses. It says this. Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar, and he renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord, to keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and with all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book, and then all the people pledged themselves to this covenant. This moment of instruction from Josiah is meant to, meant to refocus, to recommit the nation of Judah back to this covenant that they had with God in the days of Moses. Josiah is reminding all of Judah, Yahweh is the one true God. He's who we love, he's who we worship, he's who we obey. Yeah, so we're hearing all of this, but maybe you're wondering the same thing that I am. Fast forward to 2020, and what does this look like in our families? How do we faithfully instruct the generations of our church in loving, obeying, and worshiping God above everyone and everything else? Yeah, the same way Josiah did. I think it starts by taking scripture and putting it in front of ourselves and in front of the young people that we're leading and that we're shepherding. You know, when we spend time in our Bibles, it leads us to a greater commitment to the Lord, and we help instruct them in the truths of God's word. When we read our Bibles, we see how is God creating us to live in the way that we interact with each other? How do we live our lives? In fact, there's actually uh, like scientific studies that have proven the effect that Bible reading has on the way we live our lives. Get this. If you read your Bible with regularity, you are 57% less likely to do things like view pornography, gamble, have sex outside of marriage, or get drunk. On the positive side, if you read your Bible with regularity, you are 200% more likely to do things like share your faith with others, disciple someone, or memorize scripture. Which makes sense if you're internalizing the things that you're reading. Sure, absolutely. And you could hear those numbers and you could sort of twist those if you wanted to. And you could say, now we're just emphasizing sort of moral rule following and regulations. But I'd love to contend a different idea. And that's this. When we spend time with God, we're compelled to a deeper love for him. When we are spending time with him and reading his word, it affects the way that we live our lives. We live a worshipful lifestyle that puts God at the head of everything and all the rest of our lives in subjection under him in its rightful place. And I think, honestly, of equal importance to reading scripture is how do we approach it? Uh, how do we come to our scriptures? Do we say, this is a restrictive book of rules, 
Or when I read my Bible, this is God engaging me in a relationship. Do we see our Bibles as a means by which God is revealing himself to us and drawing us to a deeper love for him? You know, even in the passage we just read, did you notice that terminology change? It goes from the book of the law to the book of the covenant. Josiah calls the people of Judah back into a covenant relationship with God. He's not simply saying, Judah, adhere to this list of rules. He's saying, Judah, re-engage in this relationship. That's what we want our young people to hear when they're reading scripture. We want them to hear, engage in a relationship with the God who wrote this and who loves you. You know, in kids' world, on a philosophical level, we focus on the instruction of kids, or on on kids knowing and reading God's word so that our kids form a theology about who God is and that that theology then will inform their identity in him. And that identity then will, in, will drive their, inform their beliefs, and their beliefs then will drive their behaviors. And we hope that by instructing them on who God is, that the outflow of behaviors will set them up well to see how their faith and knowledge of God and his word is not restrictive. Yeah. But it allows them to relate to him, to easily share this relational God with others. Yeah, I think that's huge. I mean, we just wrapped up a series in student ministry. We were looking at the book of Genesis together, and we we're looking at the promises that God makes to his people in the opening book of our Bible. And we didn't necessarily open those and read those promises because we thought they were amazing, you know, years and years ago when Abram and uh, Noah and Jacob first heard them. What we wanted to compel our students to understand was that the same God moving then is moving now. His movement then gives me hope for how he's moving today in 2020. And I think that's really incredible. Uh, you know, seeing God's grace expressed to the men and women that we read about in Scripture gives me faith that God's grace can be expressed in the way that I live my life today, right? We got to go all the way back to the beginning of our Bibles to see a God who created us to experience relationship with him And the amazing thing that we wanted our students to grasp is that the Bible is the unfolding story of God drawing us into relationship, making a relationship possible through his son, Jesus. When we instruct the next generation with scripture, when we read together with them, we're drawing a focus to this God, this God who desires a relationship with us and who makes that relationship possible through Jesus Christ. Yeah, at every level of Christ's community, reading the Bible and knowing this relational word is something that we're promoting regularly. We're encouraging individuals and families to grow in their commitment to. You know, we actually did a survey not too long ago because we wanted to get a sense for how people were reading scripture in their homes. And I think it would be worth it to look at one of the statistics from that survey. We ask, what percentage of people never read the Bible with a family member? Yep. So they never read the Bible with a family member. And if their household has children who are ages 0 to 2, that number was 68.7%. Okay. Never read the Bible with their children. Uh, if they had children ages 3 to 5, that goes to 56.8%. Okay. So maybe a little bit better. Uh, elementary, it's 47%. We were seeing some of our epic journals coming out in that elementary age. Middle school, 58.6%. High school, 72.5%. And then with adult children in the home, it's 73.2%. Now, we kind of see some mixed results when we look at these numbers. Some families are really getting after it. They're reading scripture together 
and then some are just struggling to make that happen. Sure. I think it seems like the older the child gets, the harder it becomes, the less likely it is that we're reading our scriptures with them, talking about it with them. And I think there's a number of reasons that that could be the case. I think as your kids get older, the reality is now you're just juggling more, right? You're no longer just considering like mom and dad's the guardian schedule, right? It's like moms and dad's guardians and now like raising kids, right? They have extracurricular activities. They have social lives. Some of them end up getting jobs and parents have to taxi them back and forth. Finding time to talk about scripture together just becomes increasingly more difficult. And I think as, as, a, as somebody who's dealt with students getting older, right, I talk with a lot of parents who say, honestly, I just feel unequipped to have these conversations. I feel outmatched. Like, what if my kid asks me a hard question that I can't answer? How do I unpack a difficult section of scripture from my child? And I think some of these are really important and really significant hurdles to, to clear. Yeah, they're definitely legitimate hurdles. And I'm, I'm not sure that we have a one-size-fits-all approach to navigating those family experiences. Sure. What I can say is that as two representatives from our next-gen ministry, we are for you. Yeah having those experiences, yep. and we are here for you to come alongside you and to help make those experiences happen, however that might be. Yeah, absolutely. I would echo that. I know everybody on our staff team would as well. We're with you and for you. And in fact, we have a couple of really cool initiatives that we're kind of excited about to just kind of share with you this morning to invite you to read scripture with your young people and your family. Uh, now, before, before we introduce these ideas, I think there's a disclaimer necessary uh, because those statistics would tell us that maybe there's some struggle going on with reading scripture. And so here's what you might think. It's going to be weird to start something like this if we've never done it before. Uh, you might think to initiate like reading Bible savvy every night at dinner time. We've never done this before. Your kids might look at that and go, you're just doing this because the pastor has told you to. And so let's all agree on this. We get a fresh start this weekend, right? It's never too late to start reading scripture in your home and with your kids. And so that right now offers a great chance to get this started. In fact, beginning tomorrow in our Bible savvy reading, we're reading in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And as a student ministry, we've encouraged our middle school and our high school students to really commit to reading this over the next two weeks together. A part of that is because we're on break from Refuge and Mosaic for the next few weeks, and we want to get them in God's Word. And so to help with that, we've actually created a series of devotional videos uh, and posts that we're going to be making on Instagram and YouTube. And these are just meant to really supplement that reading, to spark thoughts, to prompt prayers, and to actually to give action steps for students as they're reading Scripture. And the best part about it is that if you're listening right now, you can access Bible Savvy via our app or our website and read along with your kids together over the next two weeks. And I'd love to encourage you to do just that. From the oldest to the youngest in our church, we can read this together and discuss God's word in our families. Yeah, in Kids World, Emma mentioned during the announcements our Bible Bonanza initiative for January. Now, a bonanza is basically a sudden reward. I love the word. Yeah, exactly. And we think that you as a family will see the rewards of reading scripture together, and it will create new habits in the new year. Now, families can purchase a box, as, box, as it was mentioned, announcements for each child in their family that has tools to get them started on that Bible reading. Now, the preschool box, it includes a stuffable, kind of Build-A-Bear style stuffed animal. That's their Bible buddy. Awesome. So the kids can sit and they can read to that stuffed animal every day. It's going to have links to special videos and it's going to have a special Bible reading plan. We're actually going to take the book of Mark and break it down in January. As a church, we're reading Exodus. That yeah. felt a little bit heavy, so we thought we would go ahead and, and have the little ones and the elementary kids do Mark. The elementary box is going to include this really cool new NIV Bible, some other super fun stuff. Yeah. 
Now here's an idea. If you are a grandparent, this would be a fantastic thing to gift your grandchildren and then call or text them, set up some Zoom calls to talk about what they're learning in scripture. Yeah, the whole point of these initiatives really is just to remind us that we're in this together. As a church community, you're not walking alongside, discipling your kid by yourself. We're committed to this together and to instructing the faith of the next generation here at CCC. Yeah, and I totally see how this is important in our families and with our own kids in our homes. But I also just want to jump in and point out that we know that Josiah's father, King Amon, I think you referred to him as a goober earlier. Yep, okay. So he was definitely one of the worst kings of Israel. And Josiah became king at eight years old. So that means he really did not do this alone. The Bible mentions his mother, but I also have to believe that there were people around him. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. People around him who helped him to know what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And I think that's pretty important for us to point out because you never know who's among you sitting among you in a service who's among us in kids' world or out in our atrium, and they all matter. Instructing these kids, instructing these students, it matters for the next generation. There have been studies done that say the most successful adults are those that had three or more non-parent adults, people outside of their home who invested in them as kids. And we have a lot of staff here at Christ Community who are in the positions they're in today because someone outside of their family invested in their spiritual development. I'm one of those people. Josh, I think you have had those same significant experiences as well. I didn't grow up in the church, but I went to church at the invitation of a friend. And a woman named Barb Carlson noticed me sitting alone every weekend. And she came over, she invited me to come sit with her family at church. And then she invited me to a small group Bible study, a student ministry Bible study. And there I met other people who helped teach me about Jesus, student ministry leaders who were obviously called to do that and ready to teach me what it meant to follow Jesus. I started volunteering in the kids ministry and the adults around me taught me, instructed me in how to follow Jesus. And I was embraced by the church as a whole as a teenager. And it became a home for me. So why would I ever leave the local church when it had done so much for me? You never know who's sitting among us. So it is worth it to take a chance on instructing the next generation. And that said, it's also up to the next generation. It's up to our students and our kids to be instructed. Yeah, I think that's a really important part of your story. Right? Obviously, you had the benefit, the influence of Barb in your life, but that was really only impactful because you humbled yourself to learn and to listen, right? You know, Courtney, you recognize, like, I don't have all the answers, right? I don't have this all figured out. And you probably knew that Barb wasn't perfect either. Uh, but what you recognize is she has experience, she has wisdom, she has love for Jesus that she can impart to you. And so to the young people who are listening, I guess I would ask you, uh, consider how you engage with the older generations of our church. Uh, Do you take the posture of learning, of listening, of recognizing the value that they can impart to you? And then as a church, do we see that young people have something to say as well? There are ways that the young people in our church can instruct us. uh, And more on that in a little bit. But before we get there, another example from Josiah's leadership. Yeah, Josiah doesn't only instruct the people, but he takes passionate action to defend the next generation. So let's unpack how we can echo that, how we can defend the next generation. Josiah defends the next generation. He fights for them and he fights with them. 
So this is how we see Josiah fight for the next generation. It's kind of a lengthy passage, but in Josiah, in 2 Kings 23, verses 4 through 20, um, essentially Josiah goes on a holy rampage. He destroys all of the idols in Judah entirely, and he works to ensure that future generations will not turn back to them. It is a bold leadership move, but it's one that shows his commitment to future generations. So Josh, what does this look like in our day? Yeah, I actually once heard idols referred to as the things that rattle us when they're threatened. Things that rattle us when they're threatened. And that threat rattles us because we've elevated this object or maybe sometimes even a person to a place that only God should play in our life. And so now we're looking to this idol, we're looking to this thing or this person to bring us security and value, purpose, identity. And so when that gets threatened, I get anxious. Right? I mean, the reality is so many idols exist in our lives, and especially for the next generation. Uh, and not all of these idols really are morally bad things. I don't know that it's that simple. Uh, take our phones as an example. Uh, there's really nothing wrong with a phone, right? It's a tool, it's a device created to help us. Nothing wrong with a tool so long as it's used appropriately. Uh, so I kind of think it's unfair to like make the outright judgment that just phones are bad, right? However, if I always need the next, the best one, right? If I'm constantly on my phone trying to stay up to date with the latest and the greatest, or if I uh, get a little anxious when I leave my phone at home, you all know that feeling, right? If that's my reality, I've probably elevated my phone to a spot in my life that it shouldn't be in. For a lot in our next generation, uh, their uh, academic success, their extracurricular success might be an idol. Again, there's nothing wrong with being a good student, right? Being a talented athlete or a musician, those are really good things. But if that becomes the center of my existence, that's really crippling, right? When our young people tie their value uh, only to their latest grade or their most recent performance, uh, that becomes a really significant burden that they try to carry, right? And it possibly points to the idea that they're finding their security strictly in what they accomplish in the classroom, on a stage, or on the ball field. Honestly, one of the big ones for our students is the social status, the sense of belonging. Uh, Who knows me and who do I know are questions that the next generation is asking And let me be honest, those are really significant questions to ask, honestly. And how they answer those questions clearly shapes the way that they live. Unfortunately, most of those questions are replied in venues like social media, where anyone and everyone can chime in and offer their thoughts. And so the only way that I know I belong is if I have more likes, comments, or, you know, reposts than anybody else, right? In their schools, it means our students are facing pressure to bend morals or hide their commitment to Christ to achieve a sense of belonging that really tends to a core human need, right? I mean, the social status becomes an idol when my identity is firmly rooted in, like, how many social media followers do I have? What type of crowd do I run with at school? And I think in particular our students find their security and their ability to address those kinds of questions. So to defend the next generation, do we just try to convince them that those things don't matter at all? I can see why that'd be compelling. I just don't know that that's the proper response for those kinds of idols. Uh, Now, to be clear, you mentioned Josiah goes on, I think, what you call the holy rampage, right? And sometimes that's necessary. There might be idols in our lives that we just have to remove. And God's word says a lot about those things. Uh, Honestly, I might say those are probably easier to identify than some of the things we just mentioned. Uh, But when it comes to idols like our phones, our achievements, and statuses, I think we go back to the beginning of the story we've been talking about today. Remember, Josiah invites the people of Judah to re-engage in the covenant relationship with God. I mean, he's reminding these generations in Judah, put God where he belongs at the top spot in your life and situate everything else properly under his lordship. And that's really great personally, but how does that affect the next generation? So in essence, what I'm asking is how are we pointing them 
back to finding life in Christ? I would use our first point to answer that through instruction. Instruction is not just about reading God's word. It's about how do we apply God's word to our lives so the next generation can see it. You know, when as parents and guardians, when members of this church community, if we can model this, if we can show the places that we are tearing down our idols, we're putting everything else in its place, right? When we take things like our own phones, our achievements at work, or the roles we play, even like the role of a parent, when we take that and properly situate that under Christ's lordship, the next generation sees that. They see the example of things like security, value, and purpose being appropriately rooted in what God says. What they see is life found in Christ. And I think that when we, like through what we say, through how we live, that's how we go about instructing and defending the next generation of our church family. Yeah, and that's a perfect lead-in to the second way that Josiah defends the next generation. We said that he fights for the next generation, but Josiah fights with the next generation. In 2 Kings 23-29, we see King Josiah marching out in battle with his people against Assyria and Egypt, ultimately meeting his death at 39 years old. Now, this would have been the expectation of the leadership of a king, that they would march out in battle with their people. But we do know that there are kings who didn't fulfill that expectation. So you could, in theory, let the next generation go to battle on their own, or you could fight with them, no matter what the cost might be. So whether it's serving the next generation in church, parenting your kids, or engaging the next generation in our community, it may not cost you your life, but it's going to cost you something. It might cost your time, it might cost your talents, it might cost your treasures, it might even just cost you your comfort, right? You know, when we dedicate children here at Christ Community Church, it's one of my favorite times of the entire year to see the parents bring their children before the church. But there's this beautiful moment when we stand as a congregation and shoulder to shoulder, or right now about six feet apart, right? We stand with and for the children and parents who are standing in front of us. And we vow to fight with them. These vows, they include commitments of our time, our talent, our finances, our example as Christ followers. So we fight with whatever resources God has given to us. Now, this might mean that rather than leaving our students who are attending service to navigate tough, culturally relevant topics, uh, it might be things like caring for the environment, racial tensions, or sexuality, rather than leaving them to navigate those things on their own, we engage them as a church so that our students can wrestle with them in the community that values the same things that they do. That might be uncomfortable. When we invest in the next generation with the same or similar passion that God calls us to invest in people, it might hurt a little. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we just came through the Christmas season, and that's a season when we should be especially aware that Jesus came to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us, and in doing so, he showed us how to live. But more than that, he died for us. So what does it look like to fight shoulder to shoulder with a generation while also fighting for them? When you fight with and for the next generation, you are showing the activity of a loving God. Yeah, that's awesome. 
It's clear Josiah did a lot for the next generation, right? He was faithful to instruct and to defend them. But I want to point out something that might be a little bit obvious. It's our final point today, and it's this. Uh, All that instruction, all of that defense was possible because Josiah was empowered by previous generations. And so as a church community, we want to be people who empower the next generation. Yeah, they followed his lead when they could have chosen not to simply because He was eight years old. They rallied around him. As we mentioned earlier, he was likely surrounded by people who helped to guide him. Now, Josiah was given authority. He was empowered to lead, and he responded by stewarding that responsibility with care and with excellence. Sure, the nation around him recognizes his positional leadership. He's king, right? So in some sense, they have to submit, right? But eventually, they recognize his influential leadership, right? So they then empower him to lead. And so for us as a church community, the question we can ask ourselves is, how are we empowering the young people around us toward leadership? Are we giving them spaces to exercise their gifts to contribute to our community? Do we recognize our church community needs the next generation here, right? And we kind of bring it in a little bit to Josiah's inner circle. You mentioned the influence that maybe his mom had and this, the, the people around him, the officials, right? They equipped him, right? He didn't stay eight years old forever, right? He grew. He grew in not only physically but mentally and spiritually. And so as parents, as guardians, as grandparents, as epic leaders, as community group leaders in student ministry, you play a vital role in equipping the next generation for what leadership will come their way. And I think that is wonderfully, wonderfully important. And finally, like you said, Josiah, when given those opportunities, yes, he was empowered, yes, he was equipped, and he handled those opportunities with care and a desire to bless his community. And so young people listening, when your church community empowers you, when we equip you, when people come alongside to do those things, how do you exercise those opportunities you're given? Do you do so with care? with excellence by saying, I want to contribute back to this community. I want to bless the people that are around me. How will you handle those opportunities when you're given them? Yeah, I think we do this really pretty well at Christ Community. We have so many students, especially, who are serving in different roles here. We have people who are leading worship, who are greeting people, teaching kids, leading kids in small groups. In the summer, we entrust 400 kids to high school and college students every week during our Camp Commotion programming. Now, I remember one student who started serving in Kids World as a middle schooler, and you could say he needed a little direction, maybe some help with decision-making sure. as, a, as a middle school student. But as he continued to serve as a small group leader, we were able to empower him more and more. And he accepted that instruction. He would ask for help and input on the ways that he was leading. And eventually, he began teaching our kids in large group environments. And he graduated from Moody Bible, the ministry degree, and now he's a family's pastor at a church, empowering kids and students in the same way that he was empowered here at Christ Community Church. That's incredible. You know, wouldn't it be amazing if we as a church pledged to value the same things that King Josiah did? If our hearts would be responsive to this example laid out for us in scripture, and if we would humble ourselves before the Lord, taking action instead of resting in our own security, what if people, we were a people with Josiah's among us who learned something from this young king who were inspired to do things differently? 
What if we were people who were inspired to instruct and to defend and to empower this generation? Sure. So the same thing could be said of us as was said in King Josiah in 2 Kings 23:25. Says neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. And if we're going to be a church that values the next generation, who instructs, defends, and empowers this next generation of believers. We need God's supernatural help yeah. to do it. So let's pray together. Let's ask God to let, uh, give us hearts to work uh, on this, to, to act on this truth, and to say that what comes next, that the generation that comes next matters. Yeah, let's pray. Yeah. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this space. Wherever it is we're at right now, at any of our campuses or in our own homes, uh, this space matters. This is a space that you're acting and forming and shaping us to be more and more like you. And so that's our prayer. Uh, give us a heart for your people. Give us your, a heart for the next generation of our church, that we would be a church community that, that desires to instruct, defend, and empower the people who are around us. And help us be a church that says what comes next matters. The young people in our midst they matter to this church community. They're vitally important. Help the young people here, God, to know that, to be true of them, and God, to take the opportunities they have to lead and to use care, to use excellence, and to bless their community in the ways that they lead here. Father, we love you, and we know this isn't possible without you working in and through us, and so we surrender our wills to you, God, and ask you to lead us and guide us as you see fit for your glory and that your church will be built up. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.